0: You're listening to the podcast So You Want to Be a Writer with Valerie Koo and Alison Tate Valerie is an author, journalist and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer blogger and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience Each week they explore the world of writing publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more.
1: And you're listening to episode 11 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with the fabulous Alison Tate. How are you this week, Alison?
0: Well, apparently I'm fabulous, which is Terrific. I mean, you know, it's better to be told you're fabulous and not really, isn't it? What have you been um, up to? Uh, well, actually, fabulously, I have been um, judging the winners of the Best Australian Blogs competition, which is very, very exciting. And I um, found it extremely difficult. <laughs>
1: I did. It's really, hard.
0: really difficult. It's so hard. There are so many great blogs out there. And I think that um, the ones that, you know, were chosen as finalists were just um, spectacular. So, it, yeah, it was very, very difficult. And I know I'm not the only judge that had difficulties with that. So, um, which makes for a better competition. But what about you, Val? What have you been up to?
1: Ooh, what have I been up to? I have been decluttering my wardrobe. <laughs> uh, I got very
0: were you inspired <laughs> by me last week? <laughs> yes. or, or weren't you?
1: I got very um, uh, shouty, well, not shouty, excited on Twitter when I reached Inbox Zero yesterday and proclaimed it to the world and got lots of congratulations. Uh, No, I can say
0: I've never been at Inbox Zero. I mean, well, maybe I was the day that I started (laughs) my email account back in in the day, but I've never, never got there. Do you want to know how many are in my inbox at the moment?
1: Okay, go on.
0: 3,000? Oh my God. I know. You're going to say, What are you doing now? <laughs>
1: oh my God. That would give me heart palpitations.
0: Well, I just don't, you know, think about it. Every once in a while, I kind of get all excited and go through and knock a thousand out. But um, I, 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 yeah, it's one of those things. I don't seem to be able to get beyond, I might need that one day.
1: Oh, oh. no, but you filed them.
0: Yeah, I know. There is that. Kelly Exeter keeps <laughs> telling me I should do that. <laughs> I just use the search function, you know?
1: Okay, yep. <laughs> moving right
0: along. What else have you been doing?
1: So, uh, apart from that kind of spring cleaning and decluttering, I went to see Vince Gilligan, who of course is the creator and scriptwriter of the amazing television series Breaking Bad, and uh, he was at the uh, premiere event for the Sydney Writers' Festival, and it was at the Sydney Town Hall. In being interviewed by Adam Spencer, and it was great. You know, I, I just I love the series, and and it was just fascinating to see some of the thought process, thought processes and the origins of some of the storylines. So, um, I have What was
0: time. your number one takeaway from that, Val?
1: Oh, it was just interesting to know how the concept came about. So, because you kind of think, how do you, did someone think? Oh, I might talk about a chemistry teacher who then builds a meth lab, um, <laughs> and so and so. And that was—that's obviously the the premise of the whole television series. And he kind of goes from this really good guy and delves into the darker side of his his personality and his his character. Um, but it was actually on a phone call that Vince Gilligan was having with another scriptwriter who had, he had previously worked on, on the X-Files. And they were just talking about um, an actual news story of a school, I think in Brooklyn, where uh, some of these kids were got sick because it was actually near a meth lab. Oh. And that, and it was that moment, Vince Gilligan says, it was that moment that he went bing, you know, and the, and the idea just formed in his brain instantly. So that's, yeah, that's how Breaking Bad got started. Did you watch it?
0: Um to be honest no. I watched the first I know I know. I'm one of those people. I I have the I do have the first series on on um on DVD now, ready to go though. But I watched the first one when it first came out, so we're talking a few years ago and it just didn't grab me. That first episode did not grab me and so Um, I just didn't go back. And then, sort of, three series later, I have many, everyone was raving about it, and I thought, oh, maybe I should, you know, have another crack at it. Um, so Santa bought it for me. But I haven't (laughs) haven't watched it yet. I, you know, like, I still haven't watched it yet. So I'm not, I'm not doing very well.
1: Well, Santa's very clever. I think you should do yourself a favour and get onto it. Okay. So, what's been happening in the world of writing, publishing, and blogging this week? Well, the brief. It's called The Brief and it's from the ABC and it's a new tablet uh, app. Well, really it's a – its they call it an app but really it's a tablet magazine. And um, it launched very recently mm-hmm. and it says um, it's a free weekly app that invites you to experience stories from the ABC in a new way. And it says covering news, entertainment, technology, health and more, The Brief is published every Friday just in time for the weekend. Now, I think this is an really fascinating because the ABC, has always been quite pioneering in its use of technology and and multimedia. And um, I really believe that uh magazine style or tablet style magazines um are going to be huge over the next few years but not just sort of in the way you kind of flip and read text on a tablet but rather i think we're going to see a lot more of you know of course the pretty pictures of course the words but also if the journalist has recorded the interview whether yeah. in audio or video with um the the subject that will will also as consumers and users be able to to you know click and listen to that interview or watch the video and it'll be really interesting to see who does it well and how it it's all going to merge into one and what that means for us as freelancers and contributors as well. Yes. So, mm. well,
0: I think it means a lot of, um, like, you, I, I think it's important for freelancers, you know, knowing that this stuff is coming is probably to start getting across some of the technology that might be required. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you're sort of, you know, um, dispatched to do a story, chances yeah. are you are going to need to, You know, film a little piece of something or other or show something different or um, you're going to need an additional thing. Mm. And so I think it's probably time to think about what the, how you're going to manage that brief.
1: Absolutely. And I think that people who aren't going to embrace that technology are going to fall far behind because it's not actually hard to to know how to, you know, record an MP3 with really good quality. It's it's a few little tweaks here and there. Um, but some people that I know, some of the um, journalists who are kind of stuck in the world of journalism 10, 20 years ago are really resistant to that. And um, it's going to be a bit of a problem, I think.
0: Well, yes, for them, but not for the others who, (laughs) not for the ones who go, oh, I can do that, you know, and I think, but, you know, I, again, it comes down to that thorny question of you end up doing two jobs, you're being paid probably half what you should be paid, and, (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, you know, and, and that's that's why I think so many people are resistant to it as well. It's like, you, you know, they, it's, the, the boundaries for what's required of you for your poultry paycheck are becoming broader and broader and broader and broader. And I think that that's something that over the next, you know, five to ten years is going to need to be addressed as well. Mm. But when you have apps coming out from the ABC for free um and you know the content is expected for free then that's where the problem comes in as well
1: yeah very true now another interesting link that i came across this week was about uh, the periodic table of storytelling now we're all familiar with the periodic table we had to learn it at science in school you know hydrogen helium lithium beryllium boron carbon blah 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 and um someone has done a graphical representation that looks like the periodic table but in fact it's a someone called james harris and he's taken all the tropes archetypes and cliches found in movies and you know books and literature and synthesised them into this chart and he's instead of grouping you know Gases and metals and stuff like that, like the scientific periodic table. He's organised them by story elements, so by structure or plot devices or hero archetypes or that sort of thing. So it's quite fascinating, and we'll put the link in the show notes. But you know, it's kind of cute, really. It's probably nothing. It's probably not going to make you write the great Australian novel, but it's no, kind of. nice it's, to
0: look pretty, at. it's actually pretty funny because some, you know, res did not do the research, you know, which is <laughs> kind of it can can work, and um and then we've got, you know, MGB, Magnificent, bah. <laughs> I can't say that unless we get a, <laughs> yeah. don't want don't to get us an R rating, um, or W-O-G, Word of God. So, it's actually, yeah, it's quite funny. It's more, more for a laugh than yeah, for actual useful writing, I don't I think.
1: <laughs> And I think you have something that's a bit more for a laugh. It's
0: yes, also great for a laugh. And I, I this um, popped up in my newsfeed the other day and it's from the Geelong Advertiser. Yes. And it it's a little a news story that says that four out of five Twitter users following Geelong Mayor Darren Lyons are fake, and according to the social media analyst website Status People. Now, if you have a look at Darren Lyons' Twitter account, he's got 1.11 million followers, which is pretty extraordinary for the mayor, you know, for a local mayor, Um, and they're saying that 88% of them are fake, which is um, a very, very high percentage and, you know, begs the question, why would you bother? Um, I wonder, like I know that there are a lot of uh, people out there that do buy followers on Twitter and I'm not suggesting for a minute that Darren Lyons has done this, but, um, but I know that, they are, that this is something that people do, but I just wonder why, again, why you would bother because the... Uh, 12% that he is talking to are probably his local people who are actually interested in what he's saying. Um, what's the point? Um, Val, what do you think is the point?
1: Well, I think the point is the same reason why, you know, Kim Kardashian looks towards having millions of followers or Lady Gaga looks towards having millions of followers because, you know, Darren's been on TV and I think that apart from being the mayor of Geelong, you know, he, he, he understands the power of celebrity and he understands the power of a personal brand. And, um, you know, he used to be a paparazzi. He was on, he was one of the key judges on, um, Dragon's Den in Australia. Yes. Yep. And, um, I think that partly it's, it's, you know, hoping to perhaps make himself more attractive to certain, um, brands or partnerships or that sort of thing. Now, I'm not saying he's bought any of these either, but it is interesting that a huge number more than eighty um, <laughs> percent, apparently, of his Twitter followers are fake, <laughs> according Indeed. to a certain you know social media analyst tools. So, exactly,
0: and yeah. perhaps if you tried a different analyst tool, it might be a slightly different figure as well. But I just thought it was a it was a, a funny um, a funny little story for a local paper, <laughs> and um, I you know thought yeah, one point one one million followers is a lot of followers for a, for a, yeah. a local mayor. As you say, though, he does have a media profile elsewhere, so. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt, won't we?
1: Yeah. Well, also this week, uh, on a very different uh, tangent, is um, this fantastic post written by Hugh Howie, who, of course, is the author who wrote uh, Wool and um, uh, gained huge success initially self-publishing and is now, you know, highly acclaimed and very much in demand. But he's written a post called Goals Versus dreams and he makes the distinction that it's really important to have both because a goal might be to sell 5000 books but your dream might be to be an international bestselling author and he he talks about how it's really important to not only to have both but to place the right emphasis on both because if you you know it's you spend too much fit time um thinking about how important it is to achieve your dream and to be sold in 20 million countries or whatever, then, you know, it might be a bit depressing kind of thing if you don't yeah. get there. But yet yeah. you need something to um, aspire to and think about and, and you know, and, and hope for in a sense. It's really well written. We'll put the, um, the link in the show notes. But um, I encourage every writer to have a read of it because um, it's, it's, got, it's got some pretty good stuff.
0: I do like the line, goals are the mortals bred from the gods of dreams. That's nice. That's really nice. And it's so true. It's the practicalities that come from wanting to achieve the dream.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's beautifully written, beautifully Mm. written. So... What's happening in the world of blogging this week, Al?
0: Well, I, I just thought um, this week that we would talk about, I've got two things to talk about. One is I wanted to share a link to the top 10 blogs for writers. Um, now, this came out on com. This is the 2000... 2000- 2013 list and the 2014 list hasn't come out yet. But I, I just, when I'm sort of travelling around the web looking for different things and in my role um, as social media chicky for, <laughs> for the Australian <laughs> Writers' Centre, I find myself coming back to the same writing blogs over and over again because I know that the content is going to be good. And um, one of those uh, blogs is Write to Done, which is a great... Um, Curator of writing content and it's their list of the top 10 blogs for writers of 2013 that I wanted to share. Um, These are people that are writing consistently. Um, quality posts, you know, stuff that's useful, stuff that links to other areas that are useful, things that, places that you can go on a regular basis when you're looking for inspiration or you need some craft information or something like that. So, I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes and um, that's definitely one that I wanted to share. But I also wanted to have a look at, it's a post that came up again in my feed, you know, just randomly and it's actually a 2011 post, which is you know, a couple of years old, but I think still incredibly useful. And it's a post on the SITS Girls. Now, the SITS Girls is a is a very very large community of bloggers um, where women get together and help each other to build their followings or promote their blogs or. Whatever and SITS is actually um, short for the secrets in the source. So they're talking about the importance of community on top of creating a quality blog. And one of the posts that they wrote um, that's obviously incredibly popular because it's still coming up in my feed, you know, nearly three years later, is how to write a blog post in fifteen minutes or less. And the reason I bring it up was because I thought to myself, how long does it take you to write a blog post, pal? Because um, I know that generally speaking, unless it's a unless it's a post that I'm collating a lot of information from other people, like some of the the Q&A interviews and things that I do on my blog, or um, if I'm putting a series together, it may take me longer. But generally speaking, it doesn't actually take me longer than 15 minutes to write a blog post, um, because it's very much stream of consciousness for me. That's the kind of blogging that I do. Um, But I wondered how long it takes you to write a blog post.
1: It probably takes, you know, 20 to 30 minutes for me. Mm-hmm. For me, it actually – so that's not really that long in the scheme of things. No. Um, it's really the time-consuming part is actually coming up with the idea that I feel strongly enough about or passionate enough about to dedicate to a blog post. Yeah. So I don't make myself write a blog post every day or even three times a week or whatever it is. I kind of I, – I do have to feel – that I really want to say something before before I can before I sit down and write a blog post, and when I do, it comes out really quickly because i'm I feel that strongly about it. yeah yeah, so it doesn't actually take that long to to pen it, but sometimes it can be swirling around my brain for you know quite a bit actually.
0: how long How often do you post? Like you know you say you don't make yourself do it regularly, but how often do you?
1: Um, maybe once a week, but uh, if I'm travelling or something like that, it might end up being every two weeks. I would like to, for it to be at least once a week, if not more. But like I said, I would rather put out something I'm really passionate about and, you know, feel very strongly about rather just put anything out there, if you know what I mean.
0: Yep, definitely. Because we write quite different blogs. Yours is very much a... a um, a uh, uh, commentary and opinion and information, um, kind of blog. Whereas mine has always been much more of a, I mean, I, 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 do write about, you know, writing on a fairly regular basis, but I also write, it's a very much a personal blog. It's kind yeah. of where I am. And some of my favorite blog posts and some of my best, you know, most well received, most popular blog posts are actually things where I write about the smallest thing that's happened in my day. And it's really nothing. It's a, you know, um, one of my most popular blog posts is a post I wrote about my son and my husband rolling around the grass laughing. Like it's just one of those things. It's about five lines long, yeah. and it's 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 incredibly popular. And I think that um, though they're different types of posting, and I but I so know what you're saying about the idea can sometimes take the longest. Um, and so one of the most. Uh, one of the top pieces of information that the girls give in their blog posts, the SITS girls, is, you know, to keep paper handy. You know, if you haven't, if you see something that might work, write it down so that you don't forget so that when you're at your computer, you can go, oh, yeah, and write that one or, oh, yeah, and write the other one. So, um, yeah, the idea, the inspiration can be the hardest thing to find. I agree.
1: Definitely. I think um, also with the link that's in the show notes about the top 10 blogs for writers, um, it's interesting because... You know, different things resonate with different people. And one of the blogs that I, you know, find quite fascinating, I find the story behind it quite fascinating that's in that list is Men With Pens, um, James Chartrand. And some people uh, will be very familiar with the backstory, but I think it's worth mentioning just in case um, there are people who aren't familiar. And um, uh, if you read Men With Pens, well, I I had – I was in a pub. (laughs) in – Austin, in Texas. And, um, you know, I was having a drink and a friend of mine introduced me to this woman and she said, hi, I'm James. I went, oh, and I wasn't sure if I heard that correctly. <laughs> so, And it, some people were calling her James, some people were calling her Louise. I was very confused. Yep. So I started chatting to her and it turns out that she is James Chartrand, but her... um <clears throat> real name is Louise and um, she you know was talking about how she first started blogging and freelancing as a writer and um, she was getting various jobs and as a purely as an experiment she decided she had her own website under Louise whatever her last name was um, uh, but she purely as an experiment she decided to create a much more masculine website with a male name james yep. right. and she basically said that she and she she pitched for jobs both as louise and james right? <laughs> and she's just said she got way more respect as james she got paid heaps more like with louise uh, when she was louise they would always try and bargain her down from from a already low base whereas um she could simply state what she wanted as James, and they would say, "Oh yes, of course," or even sometimes pay her more. So I just think it's fascinating that um, that that still exists in this day and age, and that oh, she even had to go through that.
0: That um, yes, that most definitely still exists in this day and age, and I think it you know it says an awful lot about everything
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that particular story that's and, a whole uh, other
1: podcast so maybe we, just a, we could on. talk
0: about that for hours couldn't we <laughs> yeah why, and why wouldn't we
1: so tell us who our writer in residence is this week
0: oh well this week we are we are taking a little a sideline into the world of children's writing mm-hmm. and our author in residence is alexa moses who has the second book in her series um coming out in well, i think it's out may this month Um, The book's called Talk Like an Ancient Egyptian. It's sort of bright, funny writing for tweens, and she's a very bright, funny interview. So I hope you enjoy it. Alexa Moses is a journalist, novelist, and screenwriter for children's television. Her new novel for tweens, Talk Like an Ancient Egyptian, is the second in her series about Jenna Booker Little Brown, an Australian exchange student who finds herself in ancient Egypt. So hello, Alexa, and thank you so much for talking to us today.
2: Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So exchange
0: students and ancient Egypt. Like, was this one of those ideas that just came to you out of the blue? Like, hello, I need to write this book?
2: Not really. I was in Europe for the first time in my 20s. And I remember in an evening, the sun was setting, and I was one of the last people in a very famous, very famous museum, which is over the Catiline Hill, where the forum is, the Roman forum. And I sort of walked onto the balcony looked out and saw in the dusk all the ruins of the Roman Forum, which is where the city used to be, you know, the heart of the city. It's like going to Pitt Street Mall in Sydney, I suppose. And um, there was a meow next to me and I jumped and I was by myself and there was a cat. In Rome there's a lot of street cats wandering around. And I, for a second, thought that I could go back in time. I really truly believed for about 30 seconds that I could transport myself back to the Roman Empire. Wow! And then I thought, oh, Rome, you know. I've read a lot about Rome. What about Egypt? I don't know much about Egypt. So I started transporting the story to a different time, I guess.
0: Okay. So this is a, this is a story idea that you've had for quite
2: a while. Yeah, I had it since I was in my 20s, just in the back of my head. You know, nothing yeah. like, I'd actually worked on seriously. And then I started reading about Egypt when I had my first child. And I was, you know, in the throes of staying up all night and, and listening to lectures about Egypt. And I got sort of hooked on Egypt. Okay. So how long
0: ago was that? Like when did you sort of start seriously getting into this?
2: Oh, probably five years ago.
0: Okay. All right. So there's a lot of history, you know, in this. Um, How much research was involved and and how did you stop yourself from blurting out everything you knew and sounding like a textbook? Because that's often a problem. Like when you know a lot, you don't necessarily have to put every single thing that you know in the book. Am I right? You're right. I don't
2: know a lot. I think that's part of the. (laughs) No, I did do a lot of research, but... um, I think when you're writing a story, you let the story take you. The research is just background. It's stuff that I read because I was interested in it. I don't think, you know, nobody wants to know all the details. I just told the story and then when there were gaps, I went back and extra research to fill them in. So although I love Egypt, you know, a lot of it wasn't relevant. I didn't expect it to be and I, I'm i quite a plotter. I plot my stories. Right. Like, I'm a television writer too. It's the same thing. I plot my stories. So by the time I sit down to write, I know I'm not going to be padding it with research.
0: Okay. So so why did you write it for tweens? Like what made you decide that was the right market for this story?
2: I don't know. That's a good question. I think um, I wanted a 12 to 13-year-old. I think it's a brash, difficult, innocent, lovely, you know, terrible age. Yep. And uh, I just thought that's where it fit a That's a really good question. I couldn't imagine 10-year-old going on an exchange by themselves. 15-year-old, that's a little bit more emotionally complicated. I want an adventure story, so I thought twelve to thirteen was a sweet spot. Okay. So what what do you like most about it? Like what did you enjoy most about writing,
0: you know, this series? What what are you liking? Is it the humour? Is it the as you say, the age, that sort of innocence and brashness that you that you get? What what is it that you like most?
2: Yes, it, it is it's it's kind of the age and the character. It's that she's such a, I love being able to set something in ancient Egypt, which people think is very co faced you know, and very serious about death and, you know, very religious, which it's not. Egypt was like a bacchanalian feast. I mean, they were were very vain, worldly, intelligent, you know, witty kind of people. They were very modern in a lot of ways. And um, I loved writing a brash modern character in this world, which was a lot like her and not a lot like her at the same time. I thought that was – it was just funny. So, you know, it was easy to be funny. Okay,
0: so how did the first book, Slave Girl, come to be published? Like did you sell it in as a series from the start or did you, is, it, is it kind of developing as you go?
2: Um, that's a good question. No, I sold it in as a series. I wrote the first book with the thought of it being two or three books, mm-hmm. a series, um, and I basically pitched it to a publisher through a friend of mine who's also, a, who's also a publisher and she gave it to him to read a couple of chapters and they loved it. So the publisher came straight back to me and I didn't have an agent at this stage, offered me – a contract, so then I had to go and find an agent that would uh, be able to deal with this. So, you know, it was, it was actually, it was fortuitous, it was lucky, and um, it hit, like I said, I think the idea itself, it hits a history angle, which is educational, people like that, and you know, publishers like that, schools like that, and yet it's funny. So that's, that's again, um, it seems easy to sell when things are funny. Yeah, funny is good. I don't think you win awards for funny, let's be honest. But you, um, might, yeah. you might win awards for funny. You never know. There might be a f- whole new funny <laughs> award at some point. I don't, we, I don't, we can only really hope. Do, honestly, in Australia. But, uh, but maybe you do. But I, I think um, funny is easy. I mean, you like funny. Who doesn't want to be entertaining, frankly? So, don't know. Who doesn't? we're really funny. That's how I write. So, you know, there's no other way for me to do it. So. All right. So are the Jenna
0: books your first attempts at writing novels or have there been others? I
2: have written adult novels. Oh, my gosh. And they were funny too. Funny enough. Uh, I won a Verena Harper-Collins Fellowship in 2008, I think it was, maybe 2007, for a book called Shiksa, which I wrote, for Adults, which was a comedy, which didn't get published in the end, but I did work on it. And I wrote a book called The Journos as well afterwards. So I've written two adult novels, and they're both comedies, again. So similar, and I haven't got either of them published. They're just still sitting here, and I do need to look at them again. I haven't looked at them for ages. I've been too busy with these books. There you go. Might be time to dust them off. I know, but we've all got those, don't we, those manuscripts just sitting there thinking, oh, and I've got to fix this, and I've got to fix that, and i Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll just concentrate on what I'm doing right now. I think that might work better. Um,
0: so how did you, like, is it a difficult transition to go, like, because your kind of day job is screenwriting for kids? So is writing novels a whole different world? Like, is it a difficult transition or does it build on what you already know? Like, how does it work for you that way?
2: I get asked that question a lot and it's an it's a interesting question. I don't think it's that different. I think story is story. And I think um, one of the, you know, the undersung crafts, let's say, of the screenwriters, screenwriters are really good at story. Television writers know that they have to fill, even if it's 22 minutes, you know, that's that's a good 30, 40-page script. Uh, I write 11 minutes for animation often, and that's about 16-page script. And you've got to have something happening and the story moving forward in every single scene. There's no dead air. There's no time for people to think and stare at a wall. Uh, And that skill that you learn where you know you've got to fill that screen and you've got to get the story moving is so useful for writing fiction, particularly children's fiction. Uh, Children have a shorter attention span than adults, what they're supposed to anyway. And they like a story to move. Um, And when I sit down to write a book, I spend a lot more time by myself than I would when I write television, which is more collaborative. Right. Okay. So I go in and plot with a script producer and other writers, for example, plot episodes of TV and then I go off and write them myself. But when I'm writing a book, I sit and plot it myself, and then I write every single word, and that takes a long time. <laughs> it's takes a months and months. But I like that too. It's just different, although the story process is pretty much the same. But getting the story right is always, you know, one of those things that I do before I start writing, every time.
0: So how long does it take you to, like, how, how, for example, let's just, you know, brown ballpark for years, How long does it take you to write a book, like, talk like an ancient Egyptian? Like, is it, is it a year? Is it six months? Is it, like, how long does it from start to finish?
2: Okay, we will say I've already got the idea which I had and I have the characters. That takes that takes a couple of years usually in the background, a world building I call it, coming up with characters and the ideas while I'm writing something else. I'll be mucking around with an idea. But when I sit down to it, then the plotting will probably take me about a month at least um, and I'll know the characters and I'll, I'll hear their voices before I start plotting. I'll have to know who they are, kind of what they want, where I'm going, then I'll plot. Plotting takes me at least a month, maybe more. And then the actual writing, that will be six months, I'd say, even seven or eight, depending on how slow I am and what else I'm doing, if I'm, how much I'm working yep. around it. And I just try to write a 1,000 words every time I sit down. It doesn't always happen. But I try to write, you know, if I sit down five days a week, I should get 5,000 words out of that week. Uh, and other people write faster than me. But I must say I don't need to revise as much because my plot's quite in – Set? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, so you do the work up front rather than redrafting and redrafting and redrafting like other writers do. Everybody works in different ways, and I think that's the most interesting thing about talking to a whole range of different writers is you realise that there is not one way to do this. It's about finding the right
2: way for you. Well, I felt bad for a long time because I do redraft a couple of times, but I don't do it. Other people talk about 20 drafts. That doesn't happen for me. By the time I've got to the story and I'm writing it, it, it has to be pretty well locked down. I can change things, things alter somewhat. But the overall thrust should be the same. And, and this is probably because this is how I write television. Television has yeah. no time to redraft and redraft and redraft. You get two drafts. Uh, you get a C breakdown, which is a kind of bang, 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 this happens, this happens. The first draft, the second draft, and that's it, you're out. Because it's got to go on television. So you you know, you know, have a certain amount of time, a couple of weeks to do it. So that's just how I know how to write. I think that's how I learnt. And um, in a way, I think it would be nice to sit down and write a sprawling novel and have to go back and fix it, but I'm not sure how to do that. How, what do, you, how do you just start writing about nothing? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Well, no, that's that, I well, yeah, writing. Like I'm not like a writer like that. I'm, I'm, you know, I guess I'm a bit obsessive-compulsive and I need a plan. No, yeah.
0: that, I mean, look, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I have writer friends who have spreadsheets and who, you know, like will will plot out every single, you know, paragraph practically before they even begin to, to write. And then I've got others who will start with a first sentence and, and, and come up with 90,000 words based on that. Um, but that's, I guess that's, you know, points to what I was saying. Like I think it's a matter of working out what works best for you um and sometimes that takes a few books to to even get to the to the thrust of doesn't it like it's how
2: how you write and how you work i look i wish i could just sit down and do that it seems gosh it seems awfully artistic and kind of cool but i'm just not like (laughs) it i don't need the spreadsheet but i need one page with points on it and i'm going it it, doesn't sound great though because you could just Wander, but I'm not like that. You know, I'm pretty neat in life. I like things to be organized. I like things a certain way. And you know, I'm the same as my books. So one day I might try. That'll be an interesting experiment. (laughs) When you hit the blank page and you stare at it, you think, What am I going to do next? Like, that's I don't know how people do that. What happens next? I'd be, Oh my god, what happens? What happens? Oh my god, I don't know. so I can go, Oh yeah, I know what happens next. Yeah, that's right, that works. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you're writing, you know,
0: you like funny. Your writing's very bright and um, you've said even your adult novels were funny. Um, and yet you have on your website that you have a thing for maudlin pop music. So I'm wondering, is there like a deep, dark adult novel in there waiting to get out, do you think, or not?
2: Probably not. I mean, I think people overestimate how funny people who write comedy and who write funny things are. In real life, I'm not that funny, I would not say. I'm quite sarcastic. I'm probably a little bit, you know, self-deprecating. You know, with my, you know, the typical writer's ego, fragile and massive. <laughs> but I don't think I'm actually that funny. I don't think, you know, even my adult novels—they're funny. They're, they're dark. Some of them are a bit dark funny, but no, not really. I don't think this. I don't think I'm a Jonathan Franzen dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just don't think it's in me. I wish it was, but uh, I'm not that person. You know? Okay.
0: All right, so, you know, you're in a, a pretty crowded market there. Like, children's book world is a fairly, you know, populous spot. How do you stand out? Like, you is is a platform important? Like, what, what sorts of, I mean, how do you, you know, how do you put your head above the pack?
2: You know, i spent a long time thinking about this. I'm not even sure really what platform means in terms of children's fiction. I think that's kind of a non-fiction thing. Um, the history has helped because it's specific and it's educational. And that's just lucky because I wanted to write the history. It wasn't something I thought about in that kind of, um, in any sense of marketing or branding. I really think, and this is going to sound like um, you know, I'm being very sentimental, but I really think you have to just write the best book you can write. That's all you can do when it comes to fiction. Yeah. You can think about what's the great idea and what might sell, but... A good book sells, you know. In the end, if it's really good, it will. I think it will sell. I yeah, do believe yeah. that, actually, and I think you'll find your, your, your market. And I know everyone says that, but I, I don't see any other way. I mean, because if I really wanted to hit the market, I'd be thinking about writing, gosh, in a very slow, emotional teenage novel or, you know, lots of different things that I can't write. It's just not in me. Vampires, for example. Well, yeah, but I think they're past now. I think I think we want something more realistic and gritty, and, and I don't think I'm that writer either. So um, just write well. Just make it so that you would want to read it. But that's the that's the only advice I have. You, I mean, you tell me a platforms for a fiction writer. I don't know that that's so important as platforms for a nonfiction
0: writer. Ah, uh, look, that I mean, for, you know, that's a conversation that will would we'll, we'll take it a, an entire hour of podcast in itself. But it's very true. Like, I mean, it is easier, not easier. It is when you have a specific topic. Um, and and you are an expert in that topic, and you can speak regularly on that topic, and you can do all those sorts of things. Then, yes, a platform is a much more obvious thing for fiction writers. It is much more difficult. I think what fiction writers are trying to do is build word of mouth, and that's you know that's a, a very amorphous you know being. So, um, but yeah, as I said, that's a we we would need to. We would need two hours to have that conversation. Um, so, anyway, all right. So, let's on the subject of let's write the best bo- possible book we can. Have you got three top tips for anyone who wants to write? You know, for children, for tweens, for teens, you know, that sort of area.
2: Yes. Uh, first, would be think about your, your characters, obviously, but your story. Don't underestimate the power of something happening. It doesn't just have to be plot, plot, plot. But you know, it, it's all very well to have characters sitting around, but you need to think about how they re- they reveal themselves through what they do. Right. Drama, character is action. You're talking about drama here. Drama is vital to any good story. And I think particularly for the middle grade, the upper middle grade, the teens, you want to be thinking about drama and, and um, things happening, you know. Secondly, for tw- teens and tweens, I think um, there's a real, you know, you have to have an ability to remember what it was like at that age yeah. and how you felt. Uh, you know, some people, I think people gravitate towards a certain age. I'm not sure why. Maybe emotionally everyone says, this, but you know, I'm 12 years old or whatnot. But you, you you find where your sweet spot is and um, you've got to try and remember that age. If you can't remember what it felt like to be like that, what the challenges were, and take those challenges seriously instead of mocking them. It's easy to do that with a 13-year-old girl, for example. Mm. You can't really write for that age group, I would suggest. Mm. And uh, the last thing would be just to, you know, and this is what all writers will tell you, you just sit down and write. There's nothing glamorous about it. Yeah. You sit there with your cups of tea, staring at the computer, just moaning some days, but just make yourself do it. Just force yourself through it. Sometimes it really sucks and it's no fun, but you've just got to do it. You want to finish the book, finish the book.
0: Truer words are never spoken. Finish the book is my favourite favorite line for anyone who says to me, you know, I really want to be a writer. I'm like, well, finish the book.
2: That's and right. Do it doesn't matter it. how you do it, you know. Cartwheels are do It doesn't matter. Just do it. I don't care, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Alexa. Where can our listeners find out more about you and
2: your books? Uh, go to my website at um and you can buy it at any good bookstore, my books at the moment. Fantastic. Okay.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Um, I'll talk to you later.
2: Thank you, Alison.
1: It's great being able to interview all these authors for our podcast, isn't it, Al?
0: Oh, look, I think it's fantastic. I actually think it's like the best part of my whole day is that <laughs> I get to call all these people up and have a chat. I mean, look, honestly, I... If there's one thing I like more than writing, it's talking about writing. So, you know, it works really, really well for me.
1: Now, we have invited people to ask us questions and to also suggest some ideas and topics for our podcast. And if anyone would like to do that, please do email us at podcast at Now, Vanessa Carnevale has done just that. And she has asked, she'd love to know whether we know of any resources for writers to connect online as a way to sim- simply connect or find a critique partner. Now, that brings up an interesting question I want to ask you. Al, because you know you're in the middle of writing a manuscript or you know multiple manuscripts. Um, where have you found your writing buddies or you know the people that um, that, that that are going to give you feedback on your work, your readers and that sort of thing? Do you are you in a writing workshop or a group or anything like that? How have you connected?
0: Well, I have to say that I have a fantastic team and um, I do think of them as a team and I think that you need a team if you're going to really progress your writing because... Uh, feedback and support. Like, these are the people that talk me down off the ceiling when I go mad. These are the people that give me feedback. These, these are the people that tell me I'm not insane to have this dream of wanting to do what I do. Um, so where did I find them? Okay, so some of them are people that I met, you know, obviously, like, working in journalism. You come across a lot of different people um, across across the day. So, so a couple of them are, are also, you know, former magazine girls or girls who are still... Um, still working in mags or have moved on to other things. So a couple of them are that. And uh, two of them I met through the the Romance Writers of Australia, um, I have to say, is one of the best organisations for this kind of, of, of thing. Um, so when I started writing, you know, fiction on any meaningful level, which is probably uh, 10 or 12 years ago... Um, I found the Romance Writers Association and I can't even think how I found them now, but I went to several of their conferences and I met people at those conferences and then they also, like this was back in the day before the internet was really big, I mean it's hard to imagine, (laughs) it's only 10 or 12 years ago but it was. And they were just starting to bring out online forums and I met, um, so through that online forum, I met Lisa Heidke, mm. who at the time was, um, also unpublished and was writing her various bits and pieces. We met via an online forum. They, like an online critique group that they put up and we are still firm friends and she's a fantastic support now. and um, she's now
1: on her fifth book. I think,
0: fifth, her it? fifth yeah. published novel. Mm-hmm. Yes. And of course she writes, um, she teaches the Chiclet course at the Australian Writers mm-hmm. Centre. Um, so I met her through that and and several others and like I I just can't begin to tell you how important it is to have them yep. and you know to to help support you through the highs and lows of of being an author of any le- on any level. And I think the other place that Vanessa could have a look is um her state writer center because I believe that each of those um and there are several around Australia that offer um, to match you up with different critique groups or different um, face-to-face, you know, online, whatever sort of groups. Um, so, that's definitely another place that would be worth looking. But I do I do recommend that people look for a group because I think it, it can be incredibly helpful, particularly in the early days of your writing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's really a bit like dating. The first person that or first group that you come across isn't necessarily going to be the one, isn't necessarily going to resonate with you. It may not work for whatever reason. So, that's don't right. take, you know, don't don't lose heart, kind of thing. It, just because the first one didn't work for you doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying until you you get someone that's in sync with you. I think that one of the things that I've, I'm hearing from you is that it's very much about networking. You know, you found, very much. You found Lisa you found the other people at the Romance Writers Festival um, Association through through networking, through actually meeting them and seeing whether that you you clicked with them.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. So and I, and what Happened in certainly at the Australian Writers' Centre is that a lot of the creative writing courses that group will then form their own group. So yes, that's right. they, they either, some of them have been meeting for years and um, they continue to meet. Some of them, I see them every week in the cafe right next to us and they continue to meet to help each other and they've been going for, for years. For those people who can't meet in person because of where they live or whatever, a lot of them connect online. So we have a number of creative writing groups that connect online and give feedback to each other online through their own, you know, online portal kind of thing, which is all private and where that people can see that. And, and give each other um, exercises, but also um, feedback on specific things that they are writing that, that's in their manuscript. That's um, right. But an interesting app that is still in beta, so we don't yet know whether it's going to be any good yet, but hopefully it is, it's one called Hubitus. That's uh, H-U-B-I-T-U-S, and we'll put that link in the show notes. And basically it's an app that is meant to connect writers online, you know. You can set your goals publicly. You can schedule writing sessions um, with your friends or colleagues so you can egg each other on kind of thing. You can um, you, you can procrastinate together. There's just a cute little procrastination um, <laughs> section. But uh, it's it, it'll be interesting to see if that works because, again, I do think it's a little bit like dating. It's it's kind of like RSVP. You may or may not resonate with the person that you connect with, um, but it's important just to think, well, it's a numbers game and I will get there kind of thing. That's right, and I think it's it's also you also need
0: to think about like when you are looking for someone that you're going to work with think about how you want to work because you will there are some people that will want you to you know give them feedback on every 2,000 words of their novel in in you know like as it progresses and I I that's not how I work that's not how I want to work with a critique partner it's it's you know you really it is like dating and you really do need to find someone who's on the same level that you're on and if you don't have time to give feedback on 2,000 words every week then don't Get yourself into a situation where that's what's expected. Okay, you need to. You've got to find someone who wants the same level of commitment that you do. You know.
1: And that brings us to the end of our podcast for this week. So, what have you? What are you going to be up to till we next chat?
0: Well, I I'm sort of at a really exciting point i am going to be uh the copy edit has arrived for book one of my series Ooh. so i will be checking through the copy edit um i've been promised it's quite light so i'm you know i haven't actually dared look at it yet it just arrived in the post this morning <laughs> um, i'm a bit scared um but i have been promised it's quite light so that's good um and in the meantime draft the the draft of book two I've, uh, is all done and dusted and it's about to go out to some trusted readers just to get a bit of feedback on whether or not it makes sense and whether it's believable. And um, so that's where I'm up to and I'm hoping to get a cover in a couple of weeks and then – yeah, and then it's all go. And so, yeah, I'm – I'm, I'm sort of in that breathless with anticipation phase, so it's very exciting.
1: The cover bit is particularly exciting. It, oh, I I'm, can't wait to hear all about it.
0: No, I can't, I can't wait to see it. My son is beside himself. He's <laughs> like, what's it going to be like, Well And I'm like, I have no idea. But anyway, we'll see. And what about you? What will you be doing?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm excited about the Sydney Writers' Festival. I'm planning to hang out there and, you know, go to several sessions, of course. Fantastic. Um, we've got a new presenter joining us. I'm so excited about. Uh, at the Australian Writers' Centre. She'll be teaching magazine and newspaper writing and that's Alexandra Spring. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Now, um, Alexandra has been beauty editor of Vogue, features editor of Vogue. She's now the culture editor at The Guardian and um, way back when, before she was a writer, she actually did the course at the Australian Writers' Centre. Oh, there you go. We we... love a story like that. Sort of more than 10 years ago or whatever and um, she She, she, as a result of that course, she was able to change careers and move into writing. And now she's one of the most experienced, um, you know, feature writers in in Australia. So it's um, very exciting that she's joining the team and people will be able to learn a lot from her. Fantastic. And so we want to thank all of you, all of our listeners. Thank you so much for your reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate them. If you do have 30 seconds to spare, we would love it if you could um, uh, write a review. But also feel free to send us any of your questions to podcast at And, of course, you can look at the show notes at writerscenter.com.au slash Podcast Now, Alison, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go?
0: They will find me at allisontate.com And from there, they will find me Facebook, Twitter, and all of those other fabulous places. And,
1: and you? And I am at valeriecoo.com. So until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Bye.